This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. This is episode number 27. In this episode, I sit down with Mike Snowdale of Stellwagon Beer Company in Marshfield, Massachusetts. Mike talks to me about how he has switched things up and basically become a restaurant to stay open due to COVID regulations in Massachusetts. And how making beer may just get you in talks with Robert Smith of The Cure. Well, we'll see how that plays out with that situation. But for now, I got a fever. And the only cure is more podcast. Sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Mike Snowdale from Stellwagen Beer Company in Marshfield, Massachusetts. Mike Snowdale had been homebrewing for 12 years and always considered it just a hobby. He never wanted to own his own brewery, but rather work for someone else who did. After patiently waiting for that opportunity that never seemed to come, he decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands and open his own brewery. He felt like he was going to need someone with serious experience in the industry, so he teamed up with Brian Flatch, who at the time was head brewer at John Harvard's in Framingham. He then had his brother Dave, who had a background in construction, join the team to help with the build-out for the brewery. The three partners worked away, and after all the dust settled in 2018, they opened their doors as Stellwagen Beer Company. And Mike is with me here today. Mike, thank you for joining us. Hey Mike, no problem. Happy to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. So, uh, you opened in towards the end of 2018, correct? Or middle? No, it was, uh, it was right in the middle of 2018. Um, we opened our doors uh, July 3rd, so right before Fourth of July. We um, we released, uh, we did a whole bunch of cans because uh, we didn't have our permit to let people in yet, right. and we wanted to make sure that uh, you know people got to enjoy you know fresh beer out of Mar- out in Marshfield um, for the for the Fourth of July holiday, and then we ended up getting our permit on July 5th. We opened the doors. So you had been open for about, let's say, a year and a half before this whole COVID situation hit. It sounds like you guys were were striving and doing really well. How hard hit were you by by COVID business-wise? Kind of a tale of two different segments. You know, when the shutdown happened up here in Massachusetts, it was St. Patrick's Day weekend. Um, So being, being about a half an hour to an hour... Uh, south of Boston, you know, St. Patrick's Day weekend is a pretty, pretty big one for right. uh, for beer drinking. Yeah, of course. And March historically, you know, we didn't have too too many months to go off of, but um, what little we did have to go off of, March had been one of our best months for um, for on premise uh, for beer sold out of our tap rooms. So when we got shut down on March 16th, that was a pretty big hit. Um, we didn't really know what was going to end up happening for the next. You know, for the next weeks, months, at this point it looks like years, but at the time it really sucked. You know, we took a big, pretty big hit in March. You know, it kind of turned around for us fairly quickly. You know, naively I was hoping, you know, like it was only going to last a couple weeks. Right. And we were trying to figure out what we were going to do with packaging. Should we start putting all of our beer into cans? Should we keep kegging beer? We did a couple batches that were very heavy on cans and very light on kegs. Figuring, all right. Well, maybe it'll reopen. Maybe, maybe things will reopen in just a couple of weeks. Um, we 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 turned away from that pretty quickly, and uh, by 
by the beginning of April, we were putting every, you know, all of our batches into cans. We, um, you know, we scaled back a little bit, figuring that um, things would be slowed down without, you know, on-premise sales anywhere. Right. Um, and we're, and we're we're small, right? Like we don't distribute, we hardly distribute anything outside the state. Mostly, we're just in a thirty-mile radius of of our brewery. Um, you, you know, you mentioned you had the beer, uh, our beer down the Cape. That's about as far as we go. You know, we just had no idea what to expect. We actually were overwhelmed with how positive April and May were through community support. You know, I don't know if it was local supporting local or if we were lucky because, you know, everybody was in quarantine. And it's like, when you're in quarantine, what do you do? I don't know, you sit around your house and look at all the projects you wanted to do, drink beers, watch Netflix. There wasn't much to do, so people turned to beers, and we were lucky they turned to us. And honestly, we cranked through April, May, June. We didn't really skip a beat other than having to transition to packaging everything, every batch into camps. Did you have to uh, let anybody go during that time, or...? That was... We didn't. Um, yeah. So it was it was an interesting scenario. It's we don't have that many full time staff. We have the three partners: my brother Brian and I, uh, two full time brewery staff, and three full time tap room staff. We were able to keep all of us going on. And then we have probably anywhere between six and nine part time tap room staff. Honestly, we probably we may have had to make some cuts, but the uncertainty around COVID. They didn't want to take any chances, so we had three or four people just straight up be like, "I can't risk coming in because you know my grandmother is right, a right. high risk person." So they they kind of took the the hard decision away from me. So we were, we were lucky in that. I told everybody right at the very beginning that I was going to do everything I possibly could to to keep everybody employed, of course, uh, right. and and you know keep the paychecks going. So um, so fortunately, we we didn't really have to make any hard decisions when it came to. Um, you know, staffing or payroll or anything like that. I'm sure things are better now because, like, now you've opened up your tap rooms now, right up there, and everything's pretty much, pretty yeah, much, somewhat back to normal. Or no, um, there's still restrictions. I mean, it, we had to completely change our operating model in the tap room. I mean, pre-COVID, it was pretty typical tap room environment. We have a huge tap room. I mean, our capacity here is, in, is like over 200. So we didn't. We never had to worry. You know, we'd get big party buses coming in. You know, we'd have, you know, 120 people here on a Saturday, and it didn't even feel that busy, but it would be. Um, now we're still, we're open, which we're thankful for, but, uh, up here in Massachusetts, you know, we're, we're now a restaurant. We had, we had a very modest kitchen area to basically serve soft pretzels. And we had to kind of expand on that to meet the requirements up here where in order to be able to serve beer on premise or any alcohol for that matter, the beer or alcohol has to be accompanied by a meal that is prepared on site right right and they, and they get up pretty strict with enforcing that so we had to scramble to try to like become a restaurant for, right. yeah. for all intents and purposes now we're doing um food prepared on site we had to do 100 percent table service everybody has to be seated there's no more coming up to the bar right yeah. um you know so we had to retrain all of our taproom staff from just you know taking orders up at the counter to all being you know servers you know going around waiting on tables um the cleaning and sanitizing is just to a whole new level. I mean, we always cleaned everything, obviously. I mean, right. the, the thing you do most at a brewery is clean, but um, it's 10 times what it was before. You know, I mean, you're walking around every half an hour cleaning off doorknobs, you know, triple cleaning all the glassware, and we're going through about a million nitro gloves a week. You know, everybody's going to be masked up. So 
we're still not even close to where we were from an on-premise tap room standpoint before, but it's certainly better now than it was in uh, in April and May and March when we were completely shut down. Huge, huge shift to say the least. Big, big time shift. Yeah, but it's it ha- it hasn't been all that bad. You know, August was was a pretty cool month to kind of see the transition. You know, people were like starting to emerge from the from their basements. You know what? Yeah. You know, their living rooms. Like we, you know. It was a slow transition, but, um, you know, slowly it's like, all right, all of our tables are filled up. You know, we've got a big back patio. We've got two patios. We've got tons of space outside. We've got one, two, three, four, five, I don't know. We've got like 10 tables outside. And, you know, we have, um, we've had some Saturdays where people have had to wait to come on in because all of our tables are filled up. Yeah. We don't have standing room. So it's, that's uh, great. it's certainly better now, but yeah. I'm happy to hear that. So you talk about the the capacity of your place. You have a huge, basically, warehouse. Um, how did you go about finding that location? I grew up uh, in a town called Cohasset, which is a couple of towns away from Marshfield. And I live in a town called Situate now, which is right in between Marshfield and Cohasset. Okay. Um, so I knew right away. I didn't. I didn't. I wanted to focus on the South Shore. Uh, at, at the time, I started planning it. There weren't that many breweries uh, that were opened up down here. There might have been two, um, maybe three within probably a, a 25 mile radius by the time i found the building there was already like three that had opened and two more in planning so um a lot of people had the same idea i did but uh i found this building in marshfield just because honestly there's not too many places in the south shore that uh have you know buildings that are big enough um you know i wanted a standalone building i didn't want to have a you know a different business to the left of me and a different business to the right of me because I wanted this to be a big open space where people could come and chill. Yeah, right. Outdoor, outdoor space is really important to me, so um, there was definitely a lot of potential in this building. The fact that it's like right off the highway, less than a mile off of uh, Route 3, which is the main drag that goes from Boston down to the Cape, so it's really busy in the summer, Right. was uh, was a nice added bonus. And um and Marshfield was like super easy to work with. You know, I called pretty much every single, I, I must have called 10, 15 different uh, towns here to talk to, you know, their, you know, the boards of selectmen or their mayor or whoever would make the, the call on, um, on, on welcoming a brewery. And in Marshfield was super eager to work with me. So that made the decision a lot easier. Um, you know, a lot of the towns around here don't know, you know, craft brewing or craft breweries are still very new to them. So even though Marshfield had never hosted a brewery before, they, uh, and, and they, they were, you know, admittedly were just like, Hey, we don't know exactly how to treat you, but we're going to work with you. And right. it was, it was already in the bylaws. They had the foresight like two years before I even had a thought to open a brewery. They had their bylaws amended to, uh, to allow for a, a microbrewery uh, to operate in some of their business zones. So I didn't really have to go through too much mm-hmm. red tape, uh, there. Perfect timing. So uh, it was perfect timing. All, all the pieces just kind of fell into place here. You know, it was a match made in heaven, really. Right. And how did you go about finding the funding to, to open your spot? A bunch of different ways. The first thing I did was cash out a whole bunch of my own personal savings. Right. Um, you know, I have my family. Like you mentioned, my brother is um, the partner here. So, you know, he contributed some savings. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of family and friends. And, uh, and a few other private investors, um, I guess angel investors or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I was able to raise probably about a quarter of a million that way. And then the rest was, uh, like I said, personal savings and, um, bank loans. 
Okay. And how did you come up with this name for what's Stellwagon? Where did you come up with the name for that? Oh my God. That must've been the hardest part. (laughs) Honestly, I wanted, I wanted something to be, I wanted the name to be something local, something that resonated with people in the South Shore, obviously, but not so hyper local that it, you know, was, you know, would go over the heads of of everybody else. And, And Stellwagon, is the name of it's a national marine sanctuary it's like this underwater plateau that basically stretches from the tip of cape cod up to the fishing town of gloucester which is probably about an hour north of boston it's basically like if you're a ship coming into massachusetts bay from the atlantic ocean you're you're sailing directly over this um this bank and it's it's pretty it's a pretty cool spot like it's one of the best spots in the world to whale watch right hence our logo is the humpback whale right 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 um, yes there's like crazy recreational fishing you know there's bluefin tuna yellowfin tuna like i don't know if you've seen that show wicked tuna yes but like sure have. you know yeah. you know half half the scenes are them fishing over like stellwagen stellwagen bank or they go out to george's bank or something like that but um feels like seventy uh, percent of the people that I talk to about it, they like, "Hey, cool name, where'd it come from?" Right? I'm like, what do you mean? Where are you, where are you from? Don't you like, don't, don't you live around here? Yeah, right. So, Wicked Tuna, actually, I think one of the guys that's on that show is actually from a town in Queens, Howard Beach area. So you were brewing, you were doing home brewing for a long time before you did this. What was that? I know you said you didn't really want to open your own place. Um, what yeah. was that aha moment for you where you were like? I got to do this. I got to make it happen. Yeah, no kidding. So <laughs> it was um, 35 now. So I was I, I must have started homebrew when I was 21 years old with my friends from college. Right. And um, you know, it was, we never made anything good. It was always like, oh man, this is amazing. Like we could just you know get hammered on our beer that we just made, but it never like tasted good or anything like that. I was always mad because I just I was 21 years old. I was like, I want something that tastes like Bud Light. This is, I want something I drink normally, you know, right, like, right. I wasn't really into craft beer as a, as a person in my young twenties, but, um, I don't know, I, I got a little older and I started kind of experimenting and trying new beers and, um, you know, get a little bit better at home brewing. You know, I did it a little bit more frequently. Um, I was like, this is awesome. And I always, you know, I started drinking, you know, somebody gave me a heady topper once and I was like, what the heck, how are they doing this? This is the most amazing thing I've ever tasted. And that was kind of like, I want to make a beer like this. How do I do that? And I never could, you know, and eventually I got better at it, but you know, I was like, this is like all these different beers out there are, are, are amazing. Like, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. How do I get involved in this? So that kind of led me to applying at dozens of different jobs in the industry. Like I didn't care where it was, if it was at a brewery, if it was at a, you know, a distribution company or, or whatever. And it was like, didn't matter which brewery. I mean, the big breweries around here are like Harpoon and Sam Adams. So right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in like 2007, 2008, 2009, when I was, you know, just out of college and looking for a job, those are the places I applied at. And it just, it just never worked out. And then honestly, you know, when the recession of 2008 happened, I had a job in the financial uh, world and it was like, I was lucky to have one because it felt like everybody was getting laid off and losing their jobs. So I kind of just like dug in there for a while. Never really stopped applying at the, or, or trying to find a job at the place. But, you know, it's, it, became, it became kind of obvious where it was like, oh, shoot, like if I want to get in here, I'm going to have to like start at the bottom. And I had kind of gotten to the point where I was like, all right, I got a family, I got a house, I got a mortgage. Like I can't really, I don't know if I can 
start, you know, washing kegs at a place for close to minimum wage. So I, I kind of like gave up on it a little bit. 2016, my wife and I welcomed our firstborn, Andrew, and yes. uh, it was great, but uh, I wasn't ready for the lack of sleep. So, you know, it's like I was already not really super passionate about what I was doing for work in the first place. And trying yeah. on a, a job you're not passionate about on like one and a half hours of sleep when you've been up all night. It, it was just one of those things where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just don't have the mental stamina to, to deal with a job that I just don't, you know, it was paying the bills and it was a great job and it, the company was, was great. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. So at that point, I convinced my wife, who was probably even more sleep deprived than I, than I was, that it was a good idea to um, to leave a job with benefits and a matching 401k and, uh, you know, everything that goes along with it. <laughs> Start a brewery. Hey. And she, she, she bought it. She went along. I couldn't believe it. But hey, why not? <laughs> so what's something you never thought you were going to have to deal with when opening your brewery? Uh, I mean, other than a pandemic that shut down the entire world? Other than the pandemic, yeah. I mean, the, other than that, what was something that, like, you uh, you came in and you said, uh, oh, my God, this is crazy. I never thought this was going to be part of the uh, part of the job description. You know, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing that I would say is the biggest surprise, and it's, it's a pleasant surprise. Um, it's something that I was hopeful to find in the industry, but really just the kind of camaraderie. Um, I kind of hit on it that when we were, um, when I first started planning this place, there were, there were two, two or three breweries within a 30, uh, 25 or 30 mile radius. And by the time I opened, I think four had, four others had opened before. And then like two or three others opened within six months right. after we did. So we went from about two or three breweries to 10 or 11 breweries, um, on pretty much the same spot from, you know. Quincy Braintree down to uh, down to Plymouth here in Massachusetts, and uh, we all you know we all get along pretty well, and we help each other out. And I had like heard that the industry was pretty cool like that, and I wasn't sure you know with all of us opening up around the same time if there would be you know if it would just be like some animosity or competitive or, or what it is, but um, you know it's it stays kind of true to the uh, to kind of the, the camaraderie of the industry. You know, you, I'm sure you've met a lot of people, too, in the beer industry uh, during that time. Um, who do you think has inspired you the most in the beer industry? Um, or give you, or you maybe know, giving you some of the best advice or along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I rely... So, a good friend of mine, um, a dude I went to college with, um, we graduated right at the same time, works for a brewery up in Maine. Uh, he's a part owner up there, actually, and he, um, you know, when he, his brewery is probably five or six years old at this point, and I was talking to him early on, and you know, they were kind of taking their model one direction, and I'm like, dude, why are you doing it? You know, why are you doing it like this? And like naively, I just assumed like just because people were lining up that you know some of the big hypey breweries that every single brewery could um, could manage that, right? And, and or, or that's just the way it was for every single brewery. And, and, you know, it kind of was for a hot minute when, um, you know, when craft breweries were really taken off and there weren't that many of us. But you know, it was just like, yo, man, like, we, we don't all get lines that people wait three hours in. Like, you have to, you know, explore all of these different avenues to be able to sell your beer. And that kind of, like, opened up my eyes that, hey, there's more than one way to kind of start, 
and run a successful microbrewery, which you know we're tiny, we're under two thousand barrels a year this year. So right. you know, there's there's a there's a, there's many different ways that you can run your business. And you kind of turned me on to that. Right. You know, obviously, I wanted to be, you know I want to be the brewery that people line up for three hours for. And, of you know, course, sell oh, out of course. beer in, in ten minutes. And you know, don't get me wrong, like we have a great following, and we are totally fortunate that we we sell out of beer. Our batches go very quickly, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we sell our beer too. Was there a defining moment of success for you? And was there a moment <laughs> that kind of like hit you where you're like, wow, we're, we're, we're doing something right. This is going in the right direction. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I wish there was. I mean, I still have like this, this like small sense, not, not insecurity, but it's like a, um, like it's an, ur- it's an urgency to make sure that we never get complacent. And like, I feel like if, if I ever sit back and relax and just be like, ah, oh, yeah, like we made it, then like, you know, the, the end won't be too far behind. But, um, you know, the fact that we've made it two years, you know, that's that in and of itself is just, is, is a testament to the fact that we're doing something right. And through, um, and through a pandemic, mind you. And, and through a pandemic. Yep. So that's great. What is success to you? Oh man, the success to me, you know, from a personal standpoint is the fact that I still get to like, actually like enjoy coming to work. You know, it's, I, I feel a little guilty about it sometimes, you know, if, you know, my friends or whoever, or my wife has had a bad day at work, or, you know, they're, they're just kind of grinding and I'm just like, oh yeah, you know what I got to do today? And I, you know, I get to, <laughs> I get to taste all these new beers, I get to smell all these cool new hops, like I get to be in a podcast, you know, like I get, you know, I get to have fun, you know, I get to go to restaurants. Right eat delicious food and, and talk to, you know, chefs that win competitions and stuff, you know, it's like, oh, this is pretty sweet. So just the fact that, you know, I, I get to go to work every day and enjoy what I do is pretty successful to me. Yeah, I feel you on that aspect because I love my job. Being a firefighter is pretty amazing uh, Yeah, all, all around. It's just, a, you know, the camaraderie and just everything. It's There's those exciting <laughs> moments when you get hear the bells and it's like, hey, it's like a, it's a bit of adrenaline rush, you know. It's a, I hear you. But uh, it's absolutely. It's all around. Yeah, like the the older you get, the harder it is to kind of get get that adrenaline rush, you know. Yeah, it's right. Like I, I played, you know, a bunch of sports when I was younger in high school and whatnot, and it's like you get that adrenaline from competition, doing it that way, and you know, you're working, you know, you know, working with your team and trying to just like, you know, striving to like to just be awesome, and like when you actually win, just a great feeling and. Hard, hard to kind of keep that going as you get older. I feel like so. I'm sure you know you you, you don't. I'm sure you don't struggle to find that. But no, it's uh, you know this this has definitely provided that kind of an opportunity for me too. Right. So uh, through everything, I don't know if it, I mean you sit. You seem like you seem to enjoy your job and everything you do. But is there ever a time for like a mental break from everything? And how, what does that look like for you? Hell yes. Um, you know, it's like, I, it's the, the best thing about being for open for two years now is like, I finally like realized that if I'm not here, like the place isn't going to burn to the ground. Like, right. I've, I've always known that I have amazing partners and amazing staff, but still there was this, this like, if I'm not there, like what, what's going to happen? Um, so it's like when I, even when I was home, I couldn't put my phone down and I couldn't stop checking my emails and I couldn't chop, you know, couldn't stop just being like little anxious about what was going on right, right. just because I wasn't there and I didn't know. Um, but, uh, I think if there's one positive to this pandemic, it was that, you know, we, 
we slowed down a little bit here just from a, like, hey, we're not open seven days a week anymore. We're only open five. And for a while, we weren't letting people in. So it was like we were forced to really slow down and just, like, laser focus on, all right, we're going to production. We're just going to do these one or two avenues to sell our beer. And, uh, and you know, it was like, all right, I'm going to take a step back and just kind of, like, appreciate what's going on right now. And, you know, I get to spend a lot more time with my family. And I think that's going to continue once things get back to real life because you know you got to realize there's still a balance even though i love what i do you can easily get burned out i mean i you know when you factor in the planning the build out then you know and then being in business for two years is like really i've been going at this like almost seven days a week 52 yeah. weeks a year for three and a half years and that takes a little bit of a toll so, i'm sure the hustle um, the hustle's real man yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, a, it's a you know, definitely, thing. definitely lately I've been trying to just like separate, you know, go to the beach with my fam. Like we just had our second kid in April at the height of the pandemic. That was fun. Um, and, you know, I was home for a few weeks there just kind of, you know, doing the whole father thing. And, and it was, it was a good reminder that there's other stuff going on too to definitely keep you, definitely separate for a minute to recharge those batteries. I know that's a cliche, but it's true. Hmm? No, it's it's much needed. I mean, uh, mental health, man. You know, just yeah. take a break, take a you know, like you said, a step back and recharge. Um, yep. So, I always ask this question. I, I I love the responses I get. But what was your gateway beer into the craft world? Um, I think I said it already. I mean, it was like it had to have been it had to have been Hetty Topper. Was yeah, like was real, it Hetty? Like was like the it, that was the one that was just like holy shit like how do they do this you know i was drinking um a lot of the um the west coast ipas that were that were super popular in in 2010 like a lot of like um you know stone a lot of lagunitis um right. beers like that and but it was really it was probably heady topper it was like the one it was just like something like it was it was crazy i was like i was with my friends and like my friend's brother-in-law was just like yo, hey, I got these, like, I got this amazing beer from this brewery up in Vermont. It's, like, the best beer in the world, according to, like, Beer Advocate. Yeah, Beer Advocate ranked it at, like, right? number one. And, for, and, I was still... like, and I was like, oh, cool, can I have one? Yeah. And he's, like, he's like, no. <laughs> he was like, you can have a sip. Um, and I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, just give... And he, like, the dude wouldn't, he literally wouldn't, he, he gave me the can, I took a sip, and he took it back for me. And I, and I was just like, oh, shit, that is really good. Um... And I can see why I didn't want to share it. Yeah. But um, but at that point, you know, that's when I started, you know, traveling up to Vermont. You know, I'm going to have a couple cases of beer. You know, I'm like following which stores are getting their 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 um their heady topper deliveries. And and then on those trips up to Vermont, you know, we're stopping at all the sweet um, you know, the sweet beer bars. Of you know, course. I'm drinking yeah. Hill Farmstead. And I'm you know drinking Sip of Sunshine and all these these awesome right. IPAs. Lawson's. That okay. um, yeah, exactly. Yep. Right. So, you know, that was kind of the Yeah, that's kind a, of it. That's a good beer to uh to be a gateway beer, I'm not gonna lie. I mean I mean it's still it's still ranked it's still ranked up there. It's uh it's the top I think in the top ten. If I, I think I just recently checked and I was like, Man, it's still up there. Top Of course. I mean it's so yeah. it's so funny to drink it now and it's like at the time it's like, Oh, this is a New England East Coast IPA right. and now drinking it. Like if like I probably didn't have it for four years or something, you know, and and now you get one and you're like, oh my god, this is so different from like 
what you know people consider the New England, you know, the the quintessential New England IPA is like a trillion or a treehouse or something like that. Right, right. So, if somebody was trying to open their own brewery for themselves, yeah, what advice would you give them? I would definitely advise to do a big time self assessment uh, first. You know, find out what your strengths and what your weaknesses are, and you know focus on the things that you, you know, you do well and then find somebody to help you do the things you don't do well. I mean, that's, that's kind of why I had, you know, why I partnered up with Brian. It's like, okay, I can brew beer, but it's not my strength. Right. Um, like I know enough about it to, you know, be dangerous and everything. And I, I could have opened a brewery myself. I would have done a lot smaller scale, but, um, you know, that's, that's one piece of it. Um, you know, it's like the other thing too is <laughs> I feel like everybody I talked to as I was opening the brewery, like I told them my plan, it was be like, Oh yeah, you know, we're gonna get this, you know, tiny you know, it'll be a small, you know, like a you know, three barrel system, you know, we'll do just you know, just taproom sales and they're like, No, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Go bigger. Yes. Just, I mean if you can do three, you might as well go five, you know, it's not that much more expensive and obviously honestly it's the same amount of work to brew three barrels as it is five barrels. And then, you know, and then I talked to somebody else. Be like, okay, so here's the plan. I'm going to do a five barrel system. And if you're no, 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 this is five. Five's too small. Like, if you're going to do five, you might as well go seven. And I'm like, and like literally, this just kept happening. Uh, and then, you know, five, eventually, like I settled on ten. And even at ten, people were just like, no, nah, don't, don't do ten. Like, I'm like man, I can't you know, do this do, anymore. Do a, do a twenty. And I'm like, listen, I have to stop somewhere. Like, I'm literally already three times bigger than I was originally planning right, on right. to. So just, yeah. So. Yeah. That's one thing too, is just like really be honest with yourself about, you know, if you can spend a little bit of extra money early, if you can, you know, I know that's a luxury that not everybody has, but, um, it's really worth it. I mean, one of the things that, uh, helped us big time was the fact that, um, we opened with a pretty robust canning system. I mean, it's definitely nothing like any of the big guys have, but we're able to crank through an entire 20 barrel batch of beer you know in a few hours if we're putting everything into cans you right, know right. and at the time you know I, we invested in this canning line it was overkill um we didn't really need it at the time but i had you know the future in mind when, when we bought it of course yeah. and I, I i honestly i had no idea that it was going to come in handy so early you know there's gonna be a pandemic and all of a sudden we're gonna have to put everything into cans but you know for us to pivot to, to packaging everything to cans wasn't hard because we were we were already kind of set up to do it. Yeah. Um, so you know, just making sure you you, you spend spend the extra money if you can on the on the equipment. I mean, the beer the beer is the lifeblood of your of your company. So it's like I, I definitely skimped on some things, um, but when it came to to building out the brewing component you know, the production stuff. It's like, I tried not to, and I tried to do my research and just make sure that we were going to be equipped to, um, to grow. Right. Yeah, good advice. Uh, so you, did you have a funny story prepared for us? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it could be funny depending on if you're a lawyer or whose perspective this is. Um, yeah. Right. But, um, we, um, so Brian, Brian's a big, uh, a big music fan and I mean, so am I, but he's into it more so than I am. And, you know, he's, he's into the cure. He's, uh, you know, a child of the eighties. So the cure is kind of one of his, um, one of his favorite bands. And right. there's, uh, um, 
there's a song that they have it's called boys don't cry okay pretty popular i guess it's one of the most popular bands we had this idea to do an ipa brewed exclusively with um cryo hot pellets and he wanted to call it boys don't cry so we're like all right cool that sounds great it makes all the sense in the world right. like a little bit of a a nod to his um favorite one band. of his favorite right. bands and so sure enough you know the the can art is very um very heavily influenced by like um it was a poster it was a, it was a poster that the cure had or like a like a single a cover for one of the singles single albums or something right. and sure enough after the second time we released the beer we get a nice a nice letter from uh from some lawyers in london england saying um you know essentially hey stop uh stop selling this beer that uses robert smith's likeness and um you know and the name and everything it's like unless you just want to send us a case of beer and we can try it and then maybe maybe he'll like it and he'll be cool with it <laughs> like that's essentially like imagine this like very dry british humor okay. um it's just like it was a it was it was a cease and desist don't get me wrong it was written by these very high-priced lawyers um right. But it was it was very unhardo. Like I was expecting it to be like we're gonna come after you for everything you're worth. Blah blah blah. They were just like, hey, why don't you send us a case of beer and we'll see where it goes. Right. He might be on board with this. <laughs> right. So so we were like, we looked at each other. We're like, all right. You know, we, we we actually had a batch already like in process. So there was something in the letter that was just like just sell to the existing inventory and then stop, never brew it again. Right. Um, so we we're just like, all right. So we, we actually sent over um, a case of Boys Don't Cryo to Robert Smith of The Cure. Um, this was probably April 2019. Right. Yeah. April and March of 2019. And it's very expensive to ship beer to England, by the way. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it was oh, probably I know. $400 right. to send a case of beer over <laughs> to England. And um, sure enough, like the lawyer confirms that they've received it. And then we don't hear anything for ever, right? Like we followed up like three months later, six months later, a year later, and just crickets. Um, then like in the middle of the pandemic, it was, I don't know exactly remember when it was, it was probably May or something. We randomly get this email from Robert Smith. Um, <laughs> and he's just like, oh, hey guys, just wanted to let you know, uh, like I totally had this beer, like it must've been over a year ago. Here are some of my tasting notes. Um, you know, like I don't think he knew what a New England IPA was, right. um, because he like one of his things is just like, is it supposed to be clear? Because or is there something wrong with this? Because it's it's not clear, right? Um, it's hazy. Yeah, it's hazy, right? It's like, yeah, no, that's how it's supposed to be. So he didn't really he, he didn't really like the first iteration of it that we had. So you know, we took his notes and we um, you know we we brewed it again uh, and we sent it back to him. So like, it's funny we're now we're now brewing this beer again because Robert's been like, yeah, okay. He had the second iteration of it. And we're just like, I mean, he never, I don't know if he ever said like, yeah, you're good to go with this. So we may get another season to this or something. But <laughs> he, um, we'll wait and just, see. It's, it's just super funny that like, now we have this ongoing dialogue with, with a rock and roll hall of famer about yes. a, a beer. We, you know, we made now, 2000 cans of, right. <laughs> okay. Now, two years ago, when you opened up your brewery, did you ever think this would be happening? Probably not. No, that's awesome. Not really, that's yeah, amazing, it was, man. It was pretty interesting. It's funny that he didn't like that first iteration of it, though. It was like honestly one of our most popular beers. Really? But yeah, right, I got to try it. Well, yeah. if I can, anyway. Oh, dude, that first one we haven't made it since. Jeez. I don't know. We haven't made it in a while. 
So we're, we're onto the new version of it, the Robert Smith approved version. Right. <laughs> so I have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. It's it's five quick questions, uh, beer related, obviously. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Sorry. Okay. It's all right. No problem. Okay. So uh, one of Stellwagen's beers you'd recommend someone try? That's my boat. Okay. What kind of beer is that? That's a New England style IPA. It's got a pretty extensive dry hop. We use Galaxy and Citra. Favorite brewery other than your own? Oh, man, I could never choose just one. All right, of course not. <laughs> if, it's, if it's on the South Shore Beer Trail, I'll drink it. I love it. Gotcha. So, favorite style of beer? It's got to be an IPA. IPA. Barrel-aged, imperial, or both? Um. Oh, man. I definitely love some good barrel-aged wild ales, you know, like right. just some spontaneous fermentation. Right, right. Get that, get that acidity, get that funk. It has some fruit in it, too. That's pretty good. So barrel-aged. Mm-hmm. Uh, last beer you drank that blew you away? I was really, really, really happy with how our first barrel-aged sour came out. We just released it like a week or two ago, and, uh, and it was phenomenal. What's the name of that? Le Marais. Le Marais. for the marsh. The marsh. Gotcha. And you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? Oh, it's got to be something drinkable. Right. Um, I'll take a, I'll take a nice crisp Pilsner, you know, something that, um, I love IPAs, you know, when I'm just sitting down having a nice nightcap or something like that, but if I've got to have a keg of something that's holding me over during a quarantine, going to be a nice, quaffable, crisp Pilsner. Anyone in particular? Oh, yeah, I gotta choose our Pilsner. Yeah. But no, if I had to choose another Pilsner, I don't know, any, anything from Jack's Abbey, they, they crush the, uh, the Jack's Pilsner Abbey. game. All right. Well, Mike, that's all I have for you. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, I appreciate you being on. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast with Mike Snowdale from Stellwagon Beer Company. Thanks, Mike. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. That was my interview with Mike Snowdale of Stellwagon Beer Company in Marshfield, Massachusetts. Whether you're passing through, live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Every other Sunday I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe and you'll never miss one. Also, be sure to check out our social media accounts for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.